Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tim Sylvie here. Now we're heading back to the States for our guest this week to speak to one of the biggest names in US racing. But before we introduce him, I have great pleasure in bringing in a brand new guest host for today's show. Alongside me, asking the questions, is former Formula One and IndyCar driver, currently McMurtry ambassador, Rygate resident and business owner, Max Chilton. How are you, my friend? Very good. Thank you for having me back on. I, uh, I was obviously on this uh, podcast within the last year, and I didn't think I was going to be a host. So uh, I apologize to everyone uh, if I've seemed a bit rusty. I've never done this before. Um, if it's a one-hit wonder, then you'll know it's not for me. But let's try our best. And uh, luckily, we've got a wonderful, a wonderful uh, guest on today, who's James. He's a good friend of mine. Got to know him over the last seven years. So uh, yeah, it should be it should be a good one. We have a six-time IndyCar race winner, the mayor of Hinchtown. He's a second-place finisher in the US show Dancing with the Stars, which we'll be definitely bringing up. He has a beer named after him. He's a collector of guitars and apparently antique lighters. And in recent history has been a broadcast analyst as well as the host of his own podcast alongside another of our former guests, Alexander Rossi. He's one of the most popular IndyCar drivers of all time. Hinch, Hinchtown, James Hinchcliffe. A very warm welcome to the Motormouth podcast. How are you? Well, fam, better now. That was a very warm welcome indeed. I uh, I appreciate the uh, I appreciate all the accolades being read, read off there. You're very welcome. Now I know you and Max um, go back quite a long way now, so no introduction needed between you two. You've um, you obviously had your fair bit of racing between you in the past. Yeah, for sure. I, I miss them. I miss them. We uh, we got to uh, we got to spar a lot, you know, on track over the years in IndyCar and, and got to know each other quite well and. Um, you know, us, us and our wives have, you know, enjoyed a few nights out together over the years. And uh, it's, it's not the, the paddock's not the same without, uh, without him there. Oh, it's, not, uh, it's, it's because we're both not there, mate. We're, um, we both need to get back in that paddock with our buses. The bus life was the way forward. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. We probably miss out on that. And we miss Becky as well. Those nights out we did in Chicago were, were good ones to remember. So uh, hopefully we'll be back next year for the 500 and we can all catch up. Love it. And I do, I owe her a trip to England. So we'll have to come visit you guys when I eventually make good on that promise. Oh, good, good. We look forward to it. Now, James, you're originally from Ontario, Canada, but where are you joining us from today? The uh, the background is, uh, I guess this is home. Is it where you are now? Yes. Yeah. So I'm at my uh, my home in Indianapolis. Um, you know, I've, I've been here a while now. So from, yeah, just outside the Toronto area, but I've been in Indy for 13 years now, I think. So it's, yeah, this is home now. Yeah. Now, take us back to the very, very early years. What was life like in the Hinchcliffe household way back when? Was there motorsport there originally somewhere else in the family? How did it show itself? Uh, it was all it was all my dad. He, uh, my dad, you know, he was English and just had a massive love of, of motorsport. And, you know, I've got an older brother and an older sister. Neither one of them really kind of took to it. But from a really early age, I just loved it. So it was you know, Sunday mornings watching F1 with dad, Sunday afternoons watching IndyCar races with dad. And so I, I caught the bug pretty early because of him. 
I, I, I did find something else out on Wikipedia that um, what, part of the reason that you got into motorsport in the first place was because of a man called Greg Moore. And I don't yeah. know whether this is one of those things that you read on Wikipedia that isn't true. But for those who don't know, Greg Moore suffered a, a very nasty crash um, at California Speedway. Was he one of the reasons you got into racing? And what was it about him that, that gave you that inspiration? Well, I mean, he was, I was already racing when Greg sort of came onto the scene and, and, and that's kind of our, our careers paralleled in the sense that when he got into IndyCar was the same year I started racing go-karts. So I'd already had a passion for motorsport. I already wanted to race. I got my go-kart for my ninth birthday and I was already a huge fan of IndyCar racing. And that was the same year this, this young Canadian up and comer who had broken all the records in the junior categories broke onto the scene. And so it was a natural fit, right? It was easy to uh, to kind of cheer for Greg as as a young Canadian kid cheering on the young Canadian driver. But on top of that, he was just an awesome guy. You know, he just was he was a bad fast driver, but a really you know just down to earth, nice dude, good Canadian dude. And uh, it was the easy easy kind of person to you know look up to as a kid as a role model. Um, so yeah, I was I was I was a huge Greg fan. Followed his career very closely. Greg's one of those people I wish I met because everyone I know who knew him absolutely loved and praised him. Uh, it's a bit a bit like the late, great Dan Weldon. I never got to meet Dan and everyone just admired him as well. So um, I don't know what it is they had, but they were they're, they're loved. They were loved hugely in the paddock and I, I wish I got to, got to meet them. Yeah, because he would have obviously spent a lot of time with Dario over the years and, and TK and, you know, those were some of Greg's best mates and, yeah, the stories those guys have. I mean, that was one of my favorite things when I first got to IndyCar. Dario was kind of one of my first sort of mentor types because we'd had a shared sponsor when I was in Lights. And so I got to know him a little bit more uh, than the other guys before I even got there. And one of the most fun things hanging out with him was just listening to old Greg stories, you know, sitting in the bus after a race with a couple of Coors Lights and, and listening to all the, all the mayhem those guys used to get up to. Yeah, I wish one day there's a podcast where we can hear some of the stories because the, yeah. the stuff that I've heard definitely can't go on a podcast. <laughs> some of the best stories I've ever heard. So, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, podcasts get slightly more extreme as they go on. Well, we we can go there. I mean, I, I'm more than happy to go there. We, can... we should get Scott and Darrow on as well. And yeah. They can uh, share some of the stories they've told me. Look, look yeah, at, look, give him a few Look at Chilton already booking himself in for host slot number two. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, James, we're going to skip over most of your early career. Um, we're going to head um, straight into IndyCar. Hang, Hang on, before you jump over that, bit Wikipedia told me earlier oh. that you did Star Mazda. Now, you're yeah. not the only person on this part, podcast that <laughs> did Star Mazda. I did a I did a one-off appearance in uh, late 2007 at Laguna Seca. No way. James Davison is my teammate. Now I can't remember the name of the team. It was a silver car with green on it. Um, if you told me, you, I would I would get it. James Davison was my teammate, and uh, yeah, weird weekend. I was I went out to Laguna Seca to race LMP1 with my brother. I was only 16. I'd already raced in the UK, but the US licensing agency even though they knew i was coming decided like the week of flying out there that i was too young and if i crashed and injured someone in the crowd they'd be responsible so they got um they got another driver in for my brother and then gave me a free driving star mazda and it was it was mental because it was big grids i think there were like 25 cars wow. yeah the back sort of six or seven were like gentlemen drivers right. and out of the 15 lap race i think there was four or five green laps and i started p5 they had those weird cross-ply tires. So, like, mm -hmm. I thought I had a puncture, but it was just the tires moving around. Um, but, yeah, mega weekend. And I just loved that. That whole paddock was really good fun. 
But I looked, you did it in 2005, so I missed you by a couple of years. Yeah, you did. But man, that, you're right. That that car was so much fun to race. Like yeah. it, it wasn't anything technically special, but it had the biply tire, like you said, and just the, the competition, the fields were great. I mean, for, for on-track battles, that was probably my favorite year of my career because every weekend was just an epic battle. The cars were so much fun to throw around. So yeah, that, that's a good shout out. I, I enjoyed that one. I think it's something to do with early single-seater life. Like I still, to this day, think the best race car I've ever driven is a Formula 3 car. Yeah, They're not too fast, but they've got plenty of downforce, the right sort of power, and it just makes the racing pure. And that's what I remember that Star Mazda weekend I did. It was just mental. There was cars everywhere. <laughs> there, there's talking of good cars to drive. Before we get onto the IndyCar stuff, there's, there was, of course, A1 GP. Before we get into it, a really quick message. This show has grown into something far bigger that we ever imagined. It's been a huge honor to chat with F1 world champions like Nico Rosberg, legends like Mario Andretti, Jody Schechter, and Gerhard Berger. People right at the top of the sport like the brilliant Gunter Steiner and current stars like Alex Albon, Lucas Degrassi, and Tatiana Calderon. It really is a privilege. But without you, we wouldn't be able to continue. And without sponsors, we couldn't bring you the stories from the inner workings of the sport we all love. With that in mind, I'm over the moon to have F1 Experiences back with us to support the show for season 13. It's really important to us that we align with brands that are relevant and can add value to you. F1 Experiences is the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. And it's the closest thing you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. You can book with them today. With F1 Experiences official ticket packages coming direct from Formula One, you can get unique access that simply isn't available anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 Experience, visit f1experiences.com, where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 Experience package by using the code MMPODCAST when checking out online. Good things come to those who listen to the Motormouth Podcast. Don't say we don't treat you well. So, what are you waiting for? The 2023 F1 season will be here before you know it, so go get booking your F1 Experience today with f1experiences.com. And... Um, a1 GP, I still think, is something that somebody needs to bring back. But you did it um, for Team Canada. Those were some pretty cool cars to drive as well. And actually a very good series that had a, a pretty good degree of popularity before its demise. Do you have some fond memories of racing in that? It's the greatest championship, I think, out there. And th there's so many reasons why it was so good. The cars, again, kind of similar. They weren't particularly technically advanced. There wasn't anything special about them but they raced really well. Um, the the on-track battles were good. The format of the weekend was great. You had a sprint race and a feature race. One was a standing start, one was a rolling start. One had pit stops, one didn't. It just had, it had everything, you know? And uh, it was uh, the fact that it ran in the off season. It gave motorsports fans globally something to watch. There was the global appeal because it was the kind of World Cup concept. Drivers didn't get points. Teams got points. So if you had a driver conflict with their sort of normal day job, uh, you could get someone else in and the team could still be in the championship fight. You had to run a rookie in the first practice session every weekend. So it gave young drivers an opportunity to drive, you know, a big horsepower car in front of a, a big audience. They did so many things right. They also threw the best parties, but that's, <laughs> you know, besides the point. Yeah, yeah it's, it really was a tragedy when that thing, yeah, when that yeah. thing fell apart. But uh, I would love to see it, you know, resurrected in, in some way or another, because on paper, 
And in practice, for a while, it was it, it just worked. awesome. But it's frustrating because I've spoken to a lot of drivers that used to race in that, and every single one has said the same thing. I, I would love to see it back. It's a brilliant, it was a brilliant series with good cars, like you say. It just, you know, for whatever reason, at that point in time, the commercial model didn't work, which is a huge shame. Um, I used to love watching it because I'm, it was just when I was starting to get into single-seaters, and that was like a really highly powered car. So I thought, oh, what's yeah. this? And it was always in the off-season, so there was nothing else. Right. I used to love it, and I, I could be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure it's what put Hulkenberg on the map. Yeah, big time. Because I remember him doing pretty well, and he was he was really young at the time, and everyone was young driving these big yeah. cars. Because I had Duncan Tapper, who was a friend of mine, driving it. I think Craig Dolby drove it, and there were big, powerful cars. But the racing was brilliant. Um, also, my uh, old team boss' uh, uh, wife, Stephanie Carlin, that's where they met because she was the press officer for A1 Grand Prix. Ah, and no way! Running Team India, I think it was Team India. Yeah, it was. And uh, that's how they met. So it's, um, yeah, I've heard lots of stories about it through Stephanie. And it was just, it, yeah, it's a shame it's still not going because it sounded an amazing thing to be a part of. Yeah, it, it needs to be brought back. But you you did that um, and IndyCar eventually did come calling. I think it was 2011 when you uh, took part in your first IndyCar race. And I m- remember asking Max this question, actually, when we had him on the show. But what what was it like? Do you remember the emotions that were going through you that first time that you you set you went out into a full blown IndyCar race? Yeah, very very clearly. I mean, I big time imposter syndrome to be honest. You know, I I had run the previous two years in Indy Lights, and so you're you know you're traveling around with the same same circus, same tracks, and you're watching all the IndyCar stuff. And uh, I remember it was at Barber Motorsports Park where I made my my first start. And up to that point, you know, the last two years, you do the Indy Lights race, and then it was just, you just walked the grid. That was just what you did, right? You got dressed, you, you know, got out of your suit, got, got whatever, and then you'd go and you'd walk the grid, see and be seen, whatever, try to shake Chip Ganassi's hand or Michael Andretti's hand, let him know how you did that day kind of thing. And then at some point in the, in the, in the procedure, you know, you get to 10 minutes before, you know, whatever, they come and they clear the field of all non-essential personnel, and you go off and watch the race wherever you watch the race. So I remember being on the grid for that race and I qualified right next to Dario, which was, you know, insane because here you go, this multiple champion, multiple 500 winner, like an idol of mine starting right next to him. And uh, that whistle blows and they start clearing off the grid and I like started walking away. I'm like, oh no, hang on a minute. I'm supposed to stay now. And it was just, it was such a crazy feeling once everything was cleared out and it was just teams, drivers and Indy cars sitting on the grid. You're sort of looking around like, Holy shit! Like we really did this. We're really we're about to go do an indie car race. It was it was so cool. Yeah, no, it's super exciting. Max, do you remember your first one? I I, I know we talked about this before, but it must have been St. Pete. Had, yeah, it was St. Pete 20, uh, 2016. Yeah. And I don't know why, but that St. Pete race. I was just about to mention to James actually. How did he find the physicality? Because Barber, I think, is the second most physical place. It was. It's just relentless. There's no rest, and also St. Pete. I don't know why I always found that race go on for hours. It, it's it, the longest race. Always over two hours because there was so many yellow flags. And it always annoyed me that they made the race so long. Because I, I remember saying to the stewards, even if this is a green race, it's going to take nearly just under two hours. So, And it's a street circuit. It's going to be like two hours, 20 minutes. And they were always that long. It was always the first race of the season where you might be fit physically, but you're not car fit. And it just, that was a brutal race. And so so hot and humid. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, just popped into my mind, and we can talk about it because it's a podcast, but I'm pretty sure, and I don't know the story, I remember watching it on TV, 
uh, didn't you uh, lose your, like, have to pee in the car at a race at Barber once? Wasn't that like a couple yeah. of years ago? That was, yeah, like 20... I can't remember how it happened. It was, it was because it was raining, right? So they, we started, they red flagged the race. We're sitting in the cars uh, waiting for the rain to let up. And you know what it's like, man. Like, you, first of all, I had hydrated for a dry race, and yep. then it rained. So already it's not as hot. You're not working as hard. Then they red flag it. And you know what it's like. If you're in the car and you're, and you're racing, you don't really think about it. Your body goes into a certain mode and just shuts everything else off, right? Well, we were just sitting there and just water dripping around everywhere. And I just was, after, I, I just was in agony. I was like, man, I got to go to the bathroom. And so I got on the radio. I was like, hey, can you ask for permission? I got to just, I mean, three minutes from wheel off to wheel on, like, that's it. And the, and the official's like, no, you know, we're thinking about going green soon. I was like, it's raining harder than when we red flagged it. There's absolutely no way we're going green. He's like, no, I just, I can't let you out of the car, man. And I'm on the radio to the team. I'm like, guys, this might be bad. And he goes, like, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. And then amazingly, they come on the radio. They're like, all right, we're, we're starting up in 60 seconds. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Okay, if we're going racing, let's go racing. So we fire up. We're doing some pace laps behind the car. And at this point, I'm just, I'm in absolute agony. I'm now freezing cold, right? Because you're soaking wet. And you've just been sitting there. You haven't been working. So I'm freezing cold. I'm shaking. I'm shaking from the pain in my bladder to the point where, like, my foot was shaking. And I, like, jabbed the throttle and, like, nearly spun out under pace car. And so I'm thinking, I can't do that. I'm going to crash the car if I don't. And so I took, it took a whole lap under caution, a whole lap under caution in the wet. And I just forced myself to let it out. And I was just like, I'm like, I can't believe it, but I got to do this because I'm going to crash if I don't. And we do like five laps behind the safety car. And then they're like, you know what? It's too bad. Come in, red flag. Everybody get out of their cars. We're done for the day. <laughs> yes. I remember it the presenters laughing. Bad luck. It was, it was very amusing. I, I don't know why, but I feel exactly the pain you've been through. So in all my 21 years of racing, the only time I've ever had to pee in the car was at Nashville two years ago. Under, and it was, I'm not joking, it's probably the most I've ever had to concentrate in my life. And it was under, it was under caution. But even just driving a racing car, the only way I could do it was on a steady throttle across yeah. the bridge in a straight line. It's and it so hard. It took a long time to get going. It's so oh, hard. It was, it was brutal. I don't know how people actually do it when they're racing. I don't see how they can physically do it. And then going back to the cold at Barber, it might have been that race, but I remember I was with Carlin, so it was either 2018 or 2019. I've never felt cold like it to the point where, because we were going slow under yellow, you're not creating any heat, and, but you're just getting soaked because you're not going fast enough. And I, I remember saying to the team, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to come in. They're like, you can't come in. I was like, yeah, but I feel like I'm going to shut down. Like I got the full-on shakes, and so um, yeah, I feel your pain to have to have the cold and then need the pee. Yeah, at Barber, uh, you deserve a gold medal, man. <laughs> I, I I can't believe we've just spent five minutes talking about taking a piss inside an Indy car. But I like. You look it. up the interview; it's pretty fun. I'm, yeah. I, I'm I'm not complaining. Uh, but it's not the only thing that's happened to you inside the cockpit. You've had your fair share of interesting experiences. Um, over and above taking a wee inside the car, 2015 um, doesn't hold great memories for you. Could you just explain to some of our listeners, many of whom are British, but um, will be uh, IndyCar fans, but may not have experienced uh, what or seen what you experienced in 2015 at turn three um, in May. Just take us through what happened on that, that fateful day. Yeah, so it was a practice session post-qualifying and uh, just kind of running around in race trim. 
and had a suspension failure. The uh, the right front rocker failed uh, right in the middle of the corner in turn three, uh, hit the wall at about 220 miles an hour, which isn't good on uh, any day. But to make it even worse, uh, part of the suspension, rather than kind of folding up as suspension normally does when you crash it into a concrete wall, it shot through the tub. It, it kind of like when you hold an egg end to end, it doesn't break. I think I hit it that perfect angle and rather than folding, it just got forced through the tub and essentially through me. And for lack of a better term, I was shish kebobbed and um, it hit an artery in my left leg. So I was kind of bleeding out on the, on the racetrack there, but through some miraculous work by the safety team and, uh, and the doctors there at, at IU Methodist, they managed to, uh, to find the problem and, and plug the hole, so to speak. But uh, it was a bit touch and go there, to be honest. I, I had 22 units of blood pumped into me because I was wow. just leaking it as fast as they could put it in. And to put that in perspective, your body only holds about 11. Jeez. So I had two full oil changes, basically. Oh, it's, wow. it's insane. I mean, I've, we've, we've all seen the footage and it's scary stuff. But when, presumably you remember um, the impact. And well, do you remember the impact? No, mercifully, I was so concussed. I was conscious when they got to the car, but I was so concussed, I don't actually remember the hit. So do you, and more importantly, I don't remember the extraction. <laughs> I was going to say because that that would have been something that you'd have to live with, you know, from a mental perspective, having that going through that experience. So I suppose you're just going on what people have recounted to you who who were there helping you at the time. And you mentioned the concussion. It's weird. I actually had a concussion at the weekend, um, which I'm sort of four days into it, but. Really random. Um, I can't claim it was as exciting as your accident. I was getting rid of some rubbish at my local tip and um, the electric boot of my car managed to collect a giant Bluetooth speaker that I'd put in, in the, the back of my car and took it up with the boot about a foot and a half up. When I came to the back of the car to get stuff out the, the back of the car, the, the speaker fell on my head, but it fell oh, from wow. about a foot and a half or whatever, two feet. But it's a big chunk. It's like a 10 kilo speaker. And uh, I rang the hospital. They were like, yeah, you need to come in. And they said, yeah, you've given yourself a really healthy concussion there. And it's a weird feeling, even having it mildly like I did. I felt sick. I was dizzy. My jaw ached. My neck ached. I can't imagine what the recovery would be like at a crash at 230 miles an hour or something like that. What was that recovery like? When did you sort of come about or come around in hospital and think, shit, I'm lucky to be alive. And now I've got to you know, get my head around racing again. Yeah, it was about probably about six or seven hours after the crash is when I kind of first start coming to, I'd already been in and out of surgery. And, you know, my memory was I was driving the car. I was following Montoya. I was in a really good tow. Actually, mm -hmm. Max knows what it's like. You're on one of those really good tow laps. <laughs> like, all right, this is a nice PR lap. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I, in a blink, literally a blink of an eye, I wake up, I'm in a hospital on a backboard, neck brace, tube down my throat, staring up at a bunch of bright lights thinking, all right, this isn't good. Something's gone wrong here. And I was so fuzzy through a combination of, you know, the drugs and the concussion that as many times as I asked the question of what happened, because it was such a weird injury. I mean, the failure itself was weird in the car. And then the injury that came as a result was, I mean, it's never really happened before. So trying to explain a completely foreign concept to someone that's heavily concussed and heavily sedated was a bit time consuming. I feel bad for the people that had to answer those questions originally. And it probably took me a full three or four days before I grasped and really understood what it was that, that injured me, why I was hurt. I got that I crashed fine, but I couldn't understand the injuries uh, for a couple of days. Mm -hmm. 
and it, yeah, that started a, a four month process really of, um, of recovery. The, the first part was really just rest because I was very lucky that I didn't break any bones. Um, the suspension missed all bones. It just hit and organs. It really just hit soft tissue muscle. And then obviously an artery. Um, so it was, a, it was a solid two months of not really doing anything, just kind of letting the body do its thing. Uh, and then a, a month of starting to kind of move a little bit more. Uh, and then, uh, the final month is when I kind of was able to start training again and getting back into the physical shape required to drive an Indy car, which obviously is, is not nothing. And sitting around for two months, God, it's amazing how quick you lose everything. Yeah. Like every ounce of muscle you've got, every ounce of fitness you had, um, it comes back relatively quick consider, you know, compared to getting it in the first place, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a long road. I find this fascinating because racing drivers very rarely talk about, they'll talk about a crash or a shunt, but they won't talk about like a nasty accident. So hearing, I've never spoken to James about it and I've never, I've never Google, like I never Google, I'm not one of these drivers that Googles or YouTube's a crash. I just don't want to see it. Mm. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So it's, it's amazing to hear what he had to go through and then the comeback he had, because the comeback was the, the special thing about this. And this is what I love about athletes in general is how they bounce back from, from uh, challenging situations. So, James, some people, some of the British listeners over here won't realise what you did uh, at the Indianapolis 500 qualifying. So let them know about that. Yeah, so a, a year on from the accident, almost to the day we were back at the Speedway. It was month of May again, and it was qualifying weekend. and you know, a lot of people were talking coming into the weekend, you know, what's it going to be like going back to the scene of the crime, quote unquote. I'd been back in a car. We, you know, the season had started. We'd been back racing. I missed the rest of that year in 2015, was back in the car testing in the off season. And then obviously a couple, first couple races of the year, but I hadn't been back to Indy yet. And so everybody was sort of, oh, what's it going to be like? Is, you know, is, is he good? Can he still do it? Is he going to manage it? And, um, I went into that month with a very, very clear goal of trying to change the story that people told about me at the Speedway. And I had a, a cool little, you know, chat with my team beforehand and like, hey, look, we all had a bad year last year here because, you know, they all went through it too, right? It's, I was maybe the one in the car, but it's like losing a family member, right? It's like having your brother get hurt. So a lot of the same people were on my car and we're like, all right, we're going we're gonna to make a new story. We're going we're gonna to give them something else to talk about. And we come to qualifying weekend and, you know, Max can attest qualifying at Indy is just such a unique experience. You know, it's one of the coolest things that an Indy car driver gets to do. And I think it'll stand out in any driver's career, no matter what they've done, sports cars, F1, NASCAR, whatever you talk to drivers that have done the 500 and those four qualifying laps are just some of the, the hairiest, craziest, scariest, but most exhilarating and fun thing that you could possibly do in a race car. So we come back a year after the accident and uh, we managed to, you know, long story short, we'll take the, the drama out of qualifying weekend um, for you, but long story short, we ended up qualifying on pole for the 100th running of the 500. 
just about a year to the day after uh, after the accident. So it was it was pretty special, you know, because it was uh, it was just it was such a good comeback for the whole team, you know, to the, the pride of being pole there. It goes down to, you know, not just the driver, the team being able to build the fastest car of 33 cars when, you know, everybody is putting all their heart and soul into those particular cars for that particular race because it's it's just so meaningful to, to the IndyCar world. And uh, to come out on top of that, given everything we'd been through over the, the previous 12 months was really special. So do, so do you think uh, that was the most special day of your career or your first race win in IndyCar? It's it's tough. There there it's 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 up there for sure. I mean, the first win is always is always so remarkable because it just is such a justification of all the hard work, all the sacrifice, all the everything you've done up to that point in your life, everything your family's done, everybody around you, and to to get there and then to win at that level, you're like, okay, it was all worth it, right? We we did the right thing. Uh, so that's always going to be a special a special day. But uh, I think the the emotion around you know the the indie thing and, and being on pole after everything was uh, yeah like I said it was it was right up there it was a very cool moment. A very quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsors at F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including driver appearances, private pit lane walks, behind-the-scenes tours of the illustrious F1 paddock, team garages, the famous podium, and loads more. It's the closest you can get to Formula One, and thanks to F1 Experiences, Motormouth listeners can get 5% off your next F1 Experiences package by using the code MM podcast when booking online at f1experiences.com now um i want to turn our attention to formula one i know i know you you like your formula one i think you were in um abu dhabi yes marina circuit recently right for the uh, for the f1 um i asked this same question to connor daly a while back on the podcast and he had pretty strong views on it um you probably know what i'm going to ask indycar drivers f1 drivers if you stick the top or any of the um, the IndyCar grid in an F1 car, someone like Scott Dixon, yourself, how do they fare in Formula One? Are, are, are we talking the same level with a bit of bit of practice, getting used to the machinery? Could they compete at the front of Formula One as well as, you know, your Lewis Hamiltons and Max Verstappens? Yeah, I mean, I think if you... Uh, we're fortunate in this discussion to have some... some uh, relevant and and recent data points. Uh, you know, Alex Pelot at Coda gets in the McLaren for FP1. He's never driven the, the 2022 car. Uh, it's one of the longest circuits on on the calendar. That means the most opportun- number of corners and most opportunity to to lose time to a teammate. And you're up against Lando Norris, who is probably talked about in the top four top five definitely drivers on the grid right now um and on equal tires not even knowing the fuel situation kind of actually thinking alex had a little more fuel on board based on the level of of the length of run he did i was i was watching this very acutely uh in coda he was he was three tenths off with i think a little bit more fuel in the car at a track like that and his first hour in the car that's unbelievably impressive but it also just shows that, you know, a driver at the top of the IndyCar field, I think, can get in and compete with the best in Formula One. Um, the IndyCar field is incredibly deep. It's incredibly competitive. 
you almost have to learn to race a little harder because the cars are so close. Uh, you're not just essentially racing one car. And I think, you know, Pato's done a great job. Colton, when he jumped in, you know, McLaren was incredibly impressed with what Colton did behind the wheel of one of those cars. So, yeah, do I think that guys like Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton are, are special talents behind the wheel of a race car? Absolutely. Uh, do I think that guys like Scott Dixon and, and Alex Plow in their prime are also massively talented and special talents? Yeah, I do. So I think, I think if you really gave drivers the opportunity to do that, that swap over, I think you'd be really, really impressed with the results in both directions. Like I think an F1 guy jumping into an Indy car, you know, can, can be equally as impressive. I think top level drivers are top level drivers for a reason. I couldn't have put that better myself. I totally agree with that. And, uh, yeah, I that the the thing that having raced in both, um, I think the talent at the top is the same, and actually even in the the, the towards the back of the grid, it, it's it's actually pretty on par. The thing which is I have noticed having driven both, if you take a whole field, the IndyCar racing is is more competitive to the point where you might have Scott Dixon win one weekend and then he's sixteenth the next. With Formula right. One, Max Verstappen's either one, two, or three, and if he's not there. He's either had a DNF because of a mechanical who's been taken out. So that's the thing that I loved. And I think what the Americans fan appreciate uh, with IndyCar is it's, you wouldn't bet on it. You absolutely wouldn't bet on it because you just don't know what's going to happen because it's so tightly, um, you know, the field is so tight. So I completely agree with James on on what he said. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It's, it's a shame we haven't seen more US drivers. I know we've got Logan Sargent now coming in. But it's a pity. I, I would have loved to have seen someone like Scott Dixon or, or yourself, James, you know, hop, hop across to F1 just to see see how you get on. Did you ever have that opportunity? Was there ever a, a seat that you were going for? The My my European career, uh, you know, trajectory had its fork in the road when I was 18, I guess. Um, I had just done Formula BMW in North America, which was, you know, a former championship that I thought was a great championship produced the likes of Sebastian Vettel and Nico Rosberg and guys like that. Um, and I, I, I won the rookie of the year, came second in the championship, my first season over here. And I was offered a, a paid ride over in the UK um, series of that championship, which was kind of the, the most competitive and, and highly touted one at the time. And that was kind of the point where I had to make that decision. If I was going to try to, you know, go to Europe and pursue a career on that side or, or stay in North America and, and pursue IndyCar. You know, at that point, I was 18. I was at the most entry. I was the first level of the ladder of motorsports in North America. My parents weren't ready for me to drop out of school and move to a different continent and, and chase a pipe dream. And I get it. I don't, I don't disagree. I don't begrudge them that. So we kind of together made the decision to, uh, to forego that, stay in North America and, and, uh, and kind of pursue that, that path. And, it worked out all right, so yeah. no uh, no issues there. That's one car that I never got to drive was the Formula BMW, but I watched them a lot because they were on in the UK. They're on a, a thing called the Tocker package, which is the British touring car, and it was really in its prime in like oh four oh five oh six. I remember Marcus Ericsson doing it. He had a silver and orange car with a Swedish sponsor Oldberg or down down the side of it, and it produced some great racing, great drivers, as you said. Uh, it's a shame that didn't carry on because it just made so much sense. It was. They had wings. They had a bit of downforce. Um, they had the right sort of power to to downforce levels, um, and it just made the racing so good. 
that the the really good guys came on and had some fantastic careers out of it. So yeah, it was a great entry level championship, you know. And I've not driven a modern F four car. That kind of seems to be what the the default is now out of carts. If you don't do like the Formula sixteen hundred thing, the Formula Ford route, but um, yeah, it was tough to beat it, man. It was it was mechanically pretty simple, but it was a nice entry level into learning about car setup and learning about data, learning about downforce. Um, but it was great. It was a great championship. I did it actually the same year that Vettel did it in Germany. And uh, that was the first time I met him because at the end of the season, BMW Motorsports does this big party and they invite everybody that's associated with BMW. So at the time they had their F1 team, they're like Andy Prio was there with the, the World Touring Car Program. And, um, and they, they invited the champion and the rookie champion of the four different Formula BMW uh, categories around the world. So it was North America, UK, Europe, and Asia. And, uh, and Vettel won the European one that year, I think. And, uh, yes, yeah, so that was, that was the first time I met this, you know, scruffy haired yeah. German kid. I was like, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what he mounts to. I don't know. Jury's out. Yeah. He's done. All right. He's done. Okay. He's, 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 worked out all right for he's had a mad career when you think about it. Cause I remember when Max was racing in F1 and, um, when we were, you know, we'd go, to various places and see different things. Go to the Autosport Awards, uh, the Autosport Awards, uh, Grosvenor House in London, and you'd see Vettel there, and and he is so different from the human being that he is now. Like the growth in that man is astonishing. And back then he was a bit of a villain. You know, when he was winning everything and he was, you know, multiple world champion, he was a bit of a villain. Now he's like completely the opposite, golden balls. You know, and and has had a complete mindset change and the things that he's doing now around you know some of his environmental discussions and sustainability and all these different things are quite extraordinary um an amazing bloke one guy that we definitely want to get on the show at some point um now listen we're rapidly running out of time we've whizzed through nearly 40 minutes so we've got a few more questions for you before we come on to our final three now you are an extremely quick racing driver everybody knows that but i think it's about time we embarrassed you slightly because you did take part well over here we have the show and um kelvin fletcher who's a racing driver over here actually took part in it and he won it um and uh, what's it called over here max strictly come dancing strictly come dancing, oh, strictly yeah. come dancing. you have the equivalent in the states um dancing with the stars you came runner-up um uh, 23rd season of the show it's a huge show in the states you can move i was very impressed when i uh, looked at your youtube clips <laughs> what an experience uh, yeah, I mean, considering I'm a, you know, a 5'10 white guy who sits for a living and this was my dance experience <laughs> before I went on. Uh, yeah, not bad. I think uh, I think it comes down to athletes do really well on that show because we're used to pushing ourselves. We're used to repetition. We're okay with getting uh, coaching and criticism and then applying that to whatever it is you're doing. So, I mean, I still, to this day, have absolutely zero dancing ability. I just, I was just willing to work hard and, and fake it till I made it, so to speak. That first live show, were you more, more nervous than your first race? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because because you got to think about it, right? Yes, it was my first IndyCar race, but I had been racing something at some level for 15 years, whatever it was at that point. I had been dancing for like eight days and I was about to go live. This is not a tape show live to 12 million people doing something I had absolutely no business doing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, tequila helps me get through that show. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. I think you should make uh, James not feel so bad. Uh, Kelvin is not a race. Well, he is a racing driver oh. now, but he was an actor. True. An actor True. naturally have a dancing ability to them. So yeah, I'm not taking enough. away. And a, perf a performance ability a as well. And now he's a turned racing driver. So, uh, yeah, I think you did remarkably well. And absolutely, I would have gone out the first week because I've got two <laughs> 
<laughs> no, same. I, I thought you did incredibly well, and, and you're doing yourself a disservice. You can you can certainly move. So well done on that. Um, now um, let's flip it on its head. What are you completely crap at? What what would um, what would your family say you are totally useless at? Um, I mean, I thought you said we were running short on time. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, I'm really I have a weird passion for something that I'm absolutely terrible at, which is music. I mean, I would I would love to be able to play guitar or play piano or play the drums and I cannot do any of those. But things. you collect guitars. Like, you, you have I do play. collect them because I love them. And I used to when I, you know, before I had a job, you know, when I was running indie lights and you've got a lot of free time, I would teach myself on YouTube. Uh but I mean by and large I was I was pretty rubbish at it. And uh <laughs> that and languages. I, I was always I always my my big regrets is not learning a second language. Yes, and I, I just don't think I'd even have it in me if I tried now. Okay, what, James. Before we go on to the final few questions, what what does the future hold for you? Are you um are you focusing purely on the sort of the commentating side? Are you still attempting to to obviously do the five hundred or IndyCar again? Yeah. So I mean, my my driving days are uh, are not over. I uh, I still have some aspirations of doing some more sports car stuff. Like I'd love to get you know back in the Daytona twenty four. I've done that half a dozen times, whatever it is, and. Um, some of the other endurance races, because with the IndyCar schedule, it was really hard to do, you know, Petite or 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 uh, Sebring things like that. Uh, so I'd love to maybe do some of the endurance races in IMSA. That the you know Lamar, if you if you get some more experience doing that, Lamar is always a bucket list thing to do. Uh, as far as IndyCar goes, the 500 is the only you know it's the only thing that would lure me back into an IndyCar, but it has to be the right program. You know, I, I had offers last year, but I, it just wasn't. It wasn't worth just driving around and, and getting another starter ring to put on the mantle, right? It had to be a program you, you really think you can win with. And so if that presents itself, cool. But, uh, you know, I understand that my my race, I've got more races behind me than in front of me. And I'm so incredibly lucky that I've had this opportunity to sort of transition into the broadcast side of it. And uh, I really genuinely enjoy it. And it's, you know, something I can hopefully do for uh, for a long time. So there's definitely, you know, a lot of a lot of focus on that side as well. Good and stuff. Uh, for, the, for the followers in the UK, what's the what's the podcast that you do? And what's it called? What does it talk about? <laughs> it's it's called Off Track with Hinch and Rossi, and it's myself and and Alexander Rossi and our producer whose name I forget. Uh, <laughs> and and yeah, it's really just it's really just us, you know, shooting the breeze on uh, on our general existence as what started as you know two active racing drivers, now one and a half. Um, and we, we cover motorsports. We cover a lot of things that aren't motorsports. It's just sort of a, a general talk thing. But um, another thing that's on my bucket list is, is Goodwood. So I need to, yes. I need to lean on the, uh, the I'm sorry, record-holding yeah. uh, driver there to maybe uh, merit me an invite at some point. You are absolutely, that is absolutely the right time to bring Becky over to the UK. There it's you go. Good event. So either next July for the Festival of Speed, but even better than that, next September... They do the Goober Revival, which Scott and um, Dario shared oh, yeah. with this yeah. year. I, I and was Jimmy was there too, right? Yeah, Jimmy was there as well in the Mustang. Um, he did remarkably well. I mean, I've never seen him drive so well, not in a NASCAR. Like he was, he was in his own element because this thing was like a, a nineteen, I think sixties or seventies Mustang, huge amounts of power. I mean, he was rapid. He was absolutely yeah. in his element there, so that was great. So, yeah, we've got. I'll find you a seat over there. If you're up for it, Deal. we'll get you over. And Deal. Becky will love it for all the fashion. I mean, the yeah. revival 
is just one of the greatest events that's, that there is. It's fully British, but the racing's amazing. Love um, it. This year we had amazing weather, so I absolutely love to have you over for that. Sam, yeah. You, you've heard it here, folks. That's it. <laughs> Hinchcliffe is coming to the Goodwood Revival. It's going to happen. Chilton's yeah. put his, his neck on the block there. You are, <laughs> you've got to make that happen now, Max. Yeah. Um, it's now time for our uh, final three quickfire questions, which come to us from our friends at F1 Experiences. And don't forget, people, you can get your Motormouth discount on F1Experiences.com by entering the code MMPODCAST on checkout. You get your 5% off your package. Um, right, I'll kick off with the first one. Um, what's got you excited at this very moment? Could be anything. Just in general? In general. Racing or otherwise, whatever you want. Oh, man. Well, is, do you like clearing the snow? Do you like... Do you I, like, do like I do like clearing the snow, um, <laughs> but there's not been much of that this winter. I'll tell you what I'm excited about. I'm actually... I'm, after 35 years of clearing the snow, I'm going to spend a good chunk of my summer or my winter, sorry, uh, down in the Caribbean. Um, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go do the beach thing for uh, for a month or so and and see see if I like that life more than the snow life in the winter. Well, where are you going? Bahamas. Oh, good man. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Barbados end of January. If you uh, fancy. Oh, there you a go. Yeah, a little a little the... quick weekend trip. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Max, over to you for number two. Oh, God. Here we go. Number two. How much of your success do you put down to luck and uh, right place at the right time? And how much would you put down to the right, uh, down to hard work and grafting? You know what? It's, um, I, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be awesome to say, but it'd be a complete lie to say that it's 100% hard work and, and, you know, the hustle. That is a huge, huge part of it. But especially in this sport, you know, as a Max can attest, it's, it is so much about timing. There are only so many seats available, you know, in, in any top level racing series and being in the right cycle of driver contracts at the right time, um, sponsorship stuff. I mean, in a lot of ways, my timing was terrible because I started racing cars in 2004. Tobacco sponsorship ended in 2003. So if I've been born, ten, Dario always used to joke that I was born 10 years too late because 10 years earlier, players had a huge canadian program of young drivers i would have been set uh wasn't to be i you know i i lived through the 08 the financial crisis the the card irl merger all terrible terrible times to be in open wheel racing in north america uh but at the same time i was in the right place at the right time when newman haas was looking for a rookie driver to you know be teammates with Oriol Servia in 2011. And had that been a year later or a year earlier, I don't know if that opportunity would have existed. So for sure, timing is a huge, huge part of it. And it's, that's what's frustrating about this sport is you don't, your, your future is not all in your own control in a lot of ways, but then you have to make the best of those opportunities and you got to put yourself in a position to, to even be noticed for those opportunities. So that's where the hard work comes in. But yeah, it's 50-50. It's yeah, good answer. Um, our final question for you before we let, let you get on with your day, and this can be as trivial or as deep as you want it to be. What are you scared of? Losing. I, it's, I mean, it's failure. I mean, it's failure's way. It's probably a better way to put it. Um, you know, as, as a racing driver, you, you're going to lose more races than you win. That's just a fact, right? So we get really good at losing. Uh, but that's what fuels you to keep going. The bigger thing for me is just is failure. So if you set a goal, not achieving it, right? You know you're not going to win every race. So taking that fourth when that's the best you're going to do, that's still, it's not a win, but it's you're not failing, right? But 
big mistakes that lose you opportunities to win a race or to have a good finish or anything else. I mean, it's, it's, it has, it has annoyingly transferred into my post-driving life, you know, this feeling of having a goal, having something in mind. And if it doesn't pan out that way, it's, it's just crippling, right? It's just, it's so hard to get over that. So, you know, I go into every broadcast with that same sort of mentality I did going into every race, like everything has to be perfect. I have to execute on X, Y, Z. And if I don't, I'm just going to be super self-critical and, it's uh, it's your biggest fear. It's your biggest fear is just is failing. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I think Max could probably uh, attest to that as well. Well, listen, um, James, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And and Max, um, what a job. Yeah, absolute natural. Look at you. Yeah, you nailed it. Thank you. Yeah. I hopefully I'll be invited back again then. A hundred percent. James, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic and uh, I've enjoyed my co-hosting with Tim. Yeah, you smashed it, bud. Thanks for having me on. It's been great. Thanks, boys. Cool. Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first-class hotels, travel, and exclusive behind-the-scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So, to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to f1experiences.com, and if you enter the code MMPODCAST, you'll get 5% off as well. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.